Good morning, church. How are you? Really, really glad you're with us today. We are in week three of this series we're calling Toxic Theology. And uh, if you're here for the very first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, we're so, so glad you're here. Uh, we believe in what God's doing here. We, we love this, this community, this body of believers. Amen. We, we believe in what God is, is doing in and among us. And uh, we hope that you'll feel the same when you leave here. And so we hope you feel especially welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're watching online, of course, I'm really glad you're with us as well. So what we've been doing, we've been looking at some beliefs that have become increasingly popular in our culture and have been widely accepted by many as Christian that perhaps maybe were born out of a social media post, a tweet, or a platform, a blog, or maybe even a well-meaning conversation that have somehow made its way into the church. But in reality, these are dangerous ideas and beliefs. And they, they're deceptive. And these beliefs are hurting the church. They're hurting the church. Quick review of our definition of toxic theology. We want to take the word theology first. It is the study of God, right? So uh, if you... You don't consider yourself a theologian. If you read the Bible at all, you are a theologian. You're just that. Uh, you study the Word of God. If you, if, you, if you want to know God and you're trying to get to know God better, you are a theologian, right? Don't sell yourself short on that. Um, we all ought to be interested in theology, right? Uh, and then the word toxic comes from toxin, and that, that word means a poisonous substance causing illness or disease when introduced to the body. So the definition of toxic theology for the purpose of this series is this, a false teaching about the things of God or a bad practice in the name of God that causes spiritual illness. Last week, Shannon talked about the toxic belief of relativism, which basically is the modern idea that truth is relative, right? That we can all decide what our truth is nowadays. We just decide what our truth is, and you can't refute it. You can't tell me what my truth is. I can't tell you what your truth is. There is no absolute truth. We can just decide what that truth is for us. And, you know, hey, you know, you be you, right? More power to you. When Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and life, there is absolute truth, and his name is Jesus. Amen? That's like the baseline, okay? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at another one of these set of beliefs, what I, I consider a big, huge, big, fat lie that people have latched on to especially in the church in recent years, but this one is more subtle and I believe way more dangerous. It's pretty widespread in our churches today. In fact, a room this size, there's no doubt that some of us in this room have taken, have, have taken hold of some of these beliefs and, and considered them truth. And maybe the Spirit of God will expose some things to you in your heart this morning. Now, my prayer is that some things that, that were covered up will be exposed. And we can make those things right with the Lord. We can, we can realign with truth. There is absolute truth. And his name is Jesus. And, and through his scripture, we learn what truth is. So the toxic belief that we want to address today is a mouthful. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. The term was coined back in 2005 by American sociologist Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton in their book, Soul Searching, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. Right? 
sociologist. That, that, so I got my degree in sociology. So hey, I'm 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 rocking with with uh, Mr. Smith here, uh, and he exposes. They conducted a research project with three thousand plus American teenagers back in two thousand five, and and you know if you if you know I know what you're going to say. Like well, two thousand five is a long time ago. It's only gotten worse. It could only have gotten worse. It's not gotten better. It's not gotten better. So if you think this, this has improved over time, you're wrong. It's only gotten worse. 3,000 plus American teenagers about their basic beliefs about God, faith, Christianity even. They found that the majority, listen to this, the majority of people they interviewed held the following views about faith, God, and religion. Are you ready? This is as described by Smith in his book, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism is defined this way. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Now, would anyone disagree with that? No? Sound pretty good so far. Right? We're tracking. We're tracking with, with our Christian doctrine and our faith right now. All right? So you're like, check, check. All right, we're good. Right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing heretical about that so far, right? Everybody agree? Hope you do. Number two, God wants people to be good or nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible by most world religions. Now, again, nothing inherently wrong with that statement. Does God want us to be good and nice people? Can't walk around and call yourself a Christian and be a jack wagon to people. Love that term, coined by, not coined by Shannon, but taken up by Shannon. I love it. Just used it, borrowed it. Can't walk around and be punks to people and call yourself a Christian. You just can't. You can't. You can't do it. They're not going to want the Jesus that you know if you're being ugly to people all the time. That's kind of convicting. Okay, but like, again, being a good, moral, morally upright person is part of what Scripture teaches us. I mean, Jesus obviously set the example for what a good moral person I look like. So nobody's really, no, no big problems with that so far, right? Number three, this is where it kind of starts to go south. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. The central goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Are we diverging a little bit from the gospel already? And we're starting to. We're starting to. This is, this is 3,000 plus American teenagers, many of which are regular church attenders. And number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God needs to resolve a problem. Yikes. Oh, man, we do that, don't we? Man, we do that. We said, I'm leaning on Jesus, but... Man, we don't really lean on Jesus when things are going good. We lean on Jesus when he needs to dig us out of a hole. And the fourth one is, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm morally good and I, I do the right thing over the course of my life, when I die, I will go to heaven. It just degenerates point by point, doesn't it? This is a widely held view of Christians the church. I would sum up, I'm going to say MTD because that's, I don't want to say moralistic therapeutic deism all day because I will, I will stumble over my words. I would sum MTD up this way. 
There is a God. He wants me to be a good person, and he wants me to be happy. And if I do those things, I'll make it to heaven when I die. Sound about right? So it doesn't sound too bad on the surface, right? There's, there's some half-truths in there. And, of course, you think about these things, they might sound pretty okay. But this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism carries subtle danger. There are some very fundamental problems with this set of beliefs, y'all. The things that are most dangerous and destructive in this life are the most subtle. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a history buff. Um, I especially love war history, uh, Civil War, uh, um, American Civil War. I love World War I, World War II, especially World War II history. I love it. Um, I, I consume everything I can get my hands on about it. And if, you, if, if I say the name Hitler, right, and most people assume that Hitler just took an army into Berlin, blew a bunch of stuff up, and took power. That's not the way it happened. It's not the way it happened. He subtly took over Germany. He inched his way to the top, inched his way, and found himself, he kept preaching his, his, his message of nationalism, German pride, and nationalism. And we, the Germans have been beaten down, which they were. The Germans were hurting in the wake of World War I. And they needed some national pride. They needed to feel good about themselves. They needed something to kick them in the seat of the pants. And Hitler was there to do it. In his shouting and his rants about, we, ought to, we are Germans, by goodness. Let's rise up. And who wouldn't be enamored with that? They, didn't, they had no idea what the evil that would come from this man. And he found himself in the chancellor's seat, Nazi Germany. And at that point, convinced the, the governing body of Germany to consolidate all power to himself. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. There were warning signs that he was a crazy person. But he convinced well-meaning people to hand over all power to him. And the rest, unfortunately, is history. Some of the most dangerous and destructive things are the most subtle. And I believe moralistic therapeutic deism is destroying the church. It's destroying it. It's destroying your heart and mind and my heart and mind. Even if you're sitting there, oh, man, I would never believe that. Man, we, we, we believe, we, we're on a spectrum here, and we believe bits and pieces of this, don't we? Bits and pieces. We've traded, as, as Shannon said last week, the truth of God for a lie. So when Smith and company conducted this survey among 3,000 plus teenagers, it uncovered a startling fact that, that, w- that many of those were church-going people who whole- wholeheartedly believed things that are contrary to the Bible. Wholeheartedly. And I just want to point out that moralistic therapeutic deism is not just a problem among students. If you think it's a problem just among teenagers, you're wrong. Where'd they get it from? Where'd they learn it from? They probably learned it at home or on Twitter, on social media. They learned it from somewhere. Parents, that's an ouch for me. I'm not calling you. I'm calling me. I'm a parent. Where, where do most of my children's bad habits come from? Me. Me. They're watching me their whole life. Yikes. And so this is not just a teenage problem. This is a problem across the entire Christian church. This is part of the reason why the United Methodist Church currently finds itself in the mess it's in. It's being live streamed. It's all right. 
There are many in our leadership and our denomination that have traded the truth of God, the authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the inerrancy of Scripture, and other core beliefs for a lie. Proof texting. It's like we talked about a few weeks ago. And, and we as a church have some decisions to make coming up in the next in the few weeks and months ahead. And so, as you heard in the, the, the announcement video, this Tuesday night, in, right in here at 6 p.m., we're going to have a conversation. We'll be having an informal meeting to discuss the future of the UMC and our place in it. And Reverend Jimmy Townsend of Park Avenue will be here. He's a, sort of an authority on the subject, and he's willing to share what he knows so far. And, of course, we're going to align with church, churches who are Bible-believing <laughs> Uh, founded on scripture, church. I, I want you to know that, church, as a, as a church, and I'm speaking for Shannon and all of us, I, I'm sp- I don't feel like I'm speaking out of place. Our heart is for the authority of scripture. Our heart is for the gospel, the one true gospel. That's it. It doesn't really matter what denomination we're part of or not. Our heart is for the word of God. Our heart is for scripture. Our heart is for the, the gospel. So Tuesday night, 6 p.m., right in here if you want to learn more about what's going on. Going to be interesting stuff. So the Barna group, if you guys know, familiar with George Barna, he is a, um, his, his group conducts research and surveys into the state of Christianity in America. They, that's what they do. They say, listen to this, they say that moralistic therapeutic deism is the dominant religious view in the United States today. The dominant religious view. Church or no church. The dominant religious view in the United States right now is moralistic, therapeutic deism. I believe there is a God. He, I believe in being a good person. And I believe that God wants me to be happy. And if I do those things, I'll end up in heaven. I'll wind up there. Man. Man. Even half-truths are a lie. Even half-truths are a lie. These are among regular church goers. This means that many Christians are falling for a false gospel. That's what it means. In Galatians chapter 1, good old Paul, old Paul is, is eager to call things out. I, I love, he's just straightforward. He's to the point. And all, almost in every single one of his letters in the New Testament, the epistles, he's talking to individual churches and, and of course down to us as well. And he's calling out Things that are false. He's calling out error. And we must not be afraid to do that in our churches. We must not be afraid to call out error when we see it. No, it doesn't make us better. If, if I see something that concerns me in the, in the life of I want the, I, I want to be able to go to them in love, and they should be able to come to me in love. In Galatians chapter 1, you can turn there with me, verses 6 through 12. This is Paul talking to the church in Galatia about this very thing. This very thing. Thousands of years ago. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. Somebody just gave it a fancy term. It's not a new thing, this moralistic therapeutic deism. He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into grace, into the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there was another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Then he says in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
In this passage, Paul is calling out very aggressively any false teachings that have infiltrated the church, and he's telling these first century believers and us that the danger, the dangers of turning to a false gospel. The dangers. He's saying there's just one gospel. There's just one. And that gospel message does not come from humans. It's all God's. The gospel of Jesus is not a man-made idea. And anything that runs contrary to it is to be, as Paul said, accursed. And he says, if any preaches anything, anyone preaches anything that contradicts what Jesus preached and did, it is false. It is false. Last week, Shannon referenced Romans 1.25, in which it says they traded the truth of, for God, of God, about God for a lie. So people everywhere are falling for, for some subtle lies. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Yikes. Like, he's not saying, oh, it's okay if, you, if we're on different, uh, you know, if you're over here and kind of over here, like, we don't get to decide what truth is. He's saying that Believing I have truth that looks like Christianity, that it's not truly, is the same as not believing at all. He said it's demonic. That is, those are strong words. He said, believing I have truth, I have gospel, is demonic. He said, he said uh, they are deceptive spirits that teach, that the teachings come from demons, he says. In verse 2, these people are hypocrites and liars and they're, Consciousness are dead. Yikes. Like, it's certainly a warning for me, and I hope it is for you. I want to share with you three lies that come out of this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism. Three lies that I believe the church kind of has latched on to. Number one, believing that God exists is enough. Believing that God exists, that there is a God somewhere, is enough. Lie number one, believing that God exists is enough. Public service announcement, folks. The devil believes that God exists. The enemy believes that God exists. What's the difference between you and him and you? If, if you believe that God exists is enough, if that's your Christianity, you're lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. That's my definition of the Christian faith. Believing that God exists is enough. That's lie number one. Number lie number two, being a Christian is all about being a good person. Um, no one would argue that the Bible teaches that we ought to be good moral people. So MTD says that it's all about being morally good and Many translate that into being nice people. Now, we should treat each other with genuine grace and humility. Right? Like I said earlier, you can't go around being a jerk to people and want people to come to know Christ. If you claim to know Christ, you can't. But if we're boiling the Christian faith down to being good people, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. Now, it's clear that the Bible teaches people that follow Jesus ought to be morally good, upright people. We ought to love one another with genuine affection. We ought to be humble. We ought to serve each other. And clearly, Jesus was the example of this. 
But the only problem is that being a good person is a, is a core value of most world religions. Most world religions teach that we ought to be good people. What, what separates Christianity from every other religion, every other faith? I ask you. If all religions teach this, what's the big deal? Yes, Jesus taught us how to, and showed us how, not just said it, but showed us how to be morally good people. But that's not what Christianity is about. See, the focus can easily become how good we can be. And we start focusing too much on works, achievement, as a means of salvation. Which is completely false. It is heresy. It is what it is. If you can save yourself, why did Jesus come and die? If you can be good enough, why did Jesus die? If you can attain some sort of holiness by being a good moral person, make it to heaven on those terms, then why did Jesus come and die? What was the need for the cross? The fact is, Scripture says that no one is righteous, not one, none. There are none righteous, Romans 3.10. So being a good person can't save us. The finished work of Jesus on the cross does. Amen? That's what saves us. It begins and ends with him. So lie number two, being a, good Christian, being a Christian is all about being a good person. Lie number three, Jesus came and died so that I could be happy and generally feel good about myself. Jesus died so that I could be happy, comfortable, healthy, wealthy, well-adjusted, successful, financially, emotionally, every way. That is not why Jesus died. In fact, look, most people I see in Scripture that are following Jesus closely have nothing to their name. Jesus himself had nothing. If God has blessed you financially, be a generous giver because he's done it. Amen? Amen? But the prerequisite for being a Christian is not being happy, healthy, wealthy, successful, well-adjusted, high self-esteem. Being a Christian is hard. The Christian life is hard. It's hard. It's difficult. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome this world. It's bigger than being happy, healthy, wealthy, good. Jesus didn't die so that you could be comfortable, happy, healthy, wealthy, well-adjusted. This is the American version of the gospel. And here's the essence of the true gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. This is what it says. Paul said, this is the most important thing. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Then he was buried and then was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. You see, it says it several times. He says, according to scripture, which is our authority, this is the most important thing. Jesus came. He lived. He died for the sins of the world and did not stay dead. He rose again for you and for me because we could not save ourselves. Right? That's the most important thing. That's the true gospel. So how do we break free from a false gospel called moralistic therapeutic deism? If you find yourself anywhere 
on the spectrum of these five tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. How do we decipher false teaching from the truth? That's the question. How do we undo the lie? How do we begin to chip away at the lie that's destroying our church? Not this church, the church, capital C. Hopefully never this church. Have I fallen victim to it? Have I put the, have I put the, the emphasis on being a good person? Have I put the emphasis on if I'm good enough, I'll make it to heaven? That is not the gospel. Satan wants you to believe that. Because you'll be on a path to hell. Because you believe that somehow if, if, if I stand before St. Peter, you know, the old thing, like, oh, maybe they'll let me in. They'll like, like a doggone country song. Old St. Peter going to let me in. You know, yeah, you're good enough. Come on in. That is a lie. The blood of Jesus stamps your ticket into, into heaven. Not you. Not me. How do we identify moralistic therapeutic deism in our own lives? Well, good old John in 1 John chapter 4 gives us the answer. I want you to turn there with me. 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses of chapter 4. Here's what John says in 1 John chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. That's important, that by the Spirit part. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus came in a real body, incarnate God, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, that person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus like some in, in some of the, our mainline denominations right now. That person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. Yikes! Which you heard is coming into the world and is indeed now here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. Those people, verse 5, belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint. That's what MTD is, a worldly viewpoint. And the world listens to them. But we belong to God. This is a warning. Don't believe every false gospel. We belong to God. Those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. And here's the kicker. This is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. This is how we know. If it centers around Jesus, who he was, what he did, instead of what we can do, then we're good to go. We're good to go. Now, you and I can argue over secondary, you know, things down the line, you know, you know smaller, less significant um, nuances of, of, of theology and doctrine. But you and I have to agree on one thing. Jesus came in a real body. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Came here, lived a sinless life. 33 and a half years, and died necessarily, took our place as a sacrifice because we could not save ourselves. We deserve hell and death. And he did that 
And then, most importantly, he resurrected. We're getting ready for Easter, the best time of the year. He rose again to defeat death, hell, and the grave for you so that we have, can, can step into a relationship with Jesus. That's the redemption story. And that is the gospel. Anything out of, out of that, those boundaries is false. Is false. You know what? Motivation Mondays, I love them. They're all right. But, you know, when you mix them with Christian faith and ideas, they can be dangerous. I just warn you. Not everything you read on Twitter or, or Instagram or Facebook is truth. Even if it looks remotely Christian. The Bible says test it. Test it all. Test it. See if the spirit of God that lives in you aligns with that. The spirit will tell you. There'll be red flags. If you're listening for the spirit's guidance and wisdom in your life, you, you'll find it. it God's not hiding the truth from you. It's there in plain sight. So bottom line this morning is Jesus didn't die to make you a good person. He died because without him we are nothing. He did not die to make you a good, nice person. He died because without you, without him, we are nothing. Absolutely nothing. Our worth is found in him. Right? Self-esteem is an issue if our worth is found in Christ. How much we have or don't have on this side of eternity, is, it will be secondary to the worth of Christ. Does he want us to live good, more examples for people? Yes, absolutely. And the world desperately needs this. But Jesus died because we are not and cannot be the moral example of anything good under our own power. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, God's ultimate goal is his own glory. His own glory, because he's the only one that's worth it. And through this, we have joy and hope. Right? Joy is way different than happiness. If you want something to last, go for joy. Any of you guys ever been absolutely miserable and yet have joy? Ever been, anybody ever gone through the toughest season of your life and still had joy? Oh, man. It's there in abundance, isn't it? You can have a, a, you're not going to have a stupid grin on your face all the time. You're going to have indestructible joy. Joy and hope are the deeper things that God wants to give you. Trade in happiness for joy. Trade in happiness for joy. And the application today is the band's coming up. The application of this today is real simple. Number one, return to the authority of Scripture. Return to the foundation of Scripture as your one authority. Number one, return. Number two, rely on the Holy Spirit for all wisdom and guidance. Don't rely on your own intellect. Proverbs 3. Don't do it. Don't be tempted to do it. Rely on the Holy Spirit for all wisdom and guidance. Return to the foundation of Scripture. Read it, study it, meditate on it, and through Scripture, test every idea that comes across your social media feed or your conversation with people. Test every idea. Don't just take it for truth. Let the Holy Spirit decide and tell you. Stand it up against the Word of God and see how it, see how it lasts or doesn't last. 
Being a follower of Jesus is way more than simply believing that God exists, being good, being happy, or just sliding in and making it to heaven. It's about the greatness and goodness of an almighty God that loves us so much that even in our weakness and sin and death, he sent Jesus to pay the price to redeem us. When we were totally helpless, when you were totally helpless, when I was totally helpless, Christ died for me. To give us life, hope, and a future. Through Christ, Christ alone. Through Christ and Christ alone. Reject moralistic therapeutic deism. Reject every part of it. Don't base your Christianity on being a good person, believing that a God exists, and that God wants me to be happy and well-adjusted. Trade that in, that lie, that half-truth, for the truth of the gospel. Because every good thing is found in Christ. Every good thing. And God's way is better than ours. Amen? God's way is better than ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're very, very thankful for your presence here. Without your presence, God, where would we be? Where would we be, Lord, without your presence? Where would we be? without your spirit? Where would we be without the hope that comes from the cross? Where would we be, Lord? Because without you are nothing. That is, that is the correct posture of someone who knows God well. God, without you we're nothing. There's nothing good in me that is even, that matches, that comes close to your worth, that comes close to your goodness. Your holiness cannot be matched by human effort. Or achievement. And so I invite you all, this altar is open. There might be some here that have, have kind of taken the lie of this moralistic therapeutic deism in their lives. And maybe you're struggling with, you know, this, this being a good person thing as a part of the Christian faith. Maybe you're struggling with... Um, Your own, um, your own desire to, to be happy and the way you feel about yourself. You know, it's a battle for all of us how we feel about ourselves. It's a battle. We're all in, in the middle of a battle in the way we feel about ourselves in here. But the battle, that victory has been won already. When Jesus came to die for that, just like he came to die for the sins of the world. So this altar is open. The altar where you sit, that, that chair you're sitting in is an altar as well. You don't have to move. You don't have to go anywhere if you don't want to. But maybe there's someone in here too that this has been your Christianity for so long. You grew up in church. You've heard this in, in no uncertain terms all your life. And maybe you're finding that you've never truly submitted your heart to Christ. Maybe you're finding that today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe you're finding that you're, you need to trade a lie for the truth. If that's you, if that's you, we'd love to pray with you. You can come see 
Shannon, myself, after the service. Or you can grab somebody by the arm and say, hey, come pray with me at this altar. We're going we're gonna to stand and worship again. And, and as we do, prayer is that this will be a, a time of surrender, like always, like every Sunday. And that the truth, the Holy Spirit will reveal all truth to us. And that there will be a great release in this room so that we can worship. Amen? A great release. Father, we love you. We're so thankful this time. Do what you do so well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.